Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, thank you for everyone here this morning. I thank you as we look at this particular benediction. I pray that this would be of great encouragement to all of us, uh, that you would use uh, your scriptures, but also my uh, presentation of it, my teaching of it in a way that would honor you, uh, but also be very practical for everyone here as we think through the implications of it. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going through a series on benedictions. There will be four of them. We've done uh, three already. I'm sorry, we've done two. This will be the third, and next week Carl will do the fourth. We said that a benediction, this is a quick definition, and then we'll jump into it, but we said a benediction is a declaration of blessings from God upon his loved ones. Though brief, they offer words of assurance or precepts designed to bring joy, peace, comfort, and security to those who place their trust in God. That was bothering me. I know she dropped it. So that's the purpose of a benediction. It's a good word to encourage you as believers. And you'll notice at the end of every worship service, there's a benediction. Uh, But what we haven't done previously is usually spend a lot of time, unless we get to it in the um, uh, expositional preaching to get to a benediction, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about what they are. So that's the why we're doing this series to talk a little bit more, to reflect a little bit more on the words of the benedictions. Uh, Last week we looked at Hebrews 13, 20 to 21, where we talked about the God of peace. Uh, This week, today, we're going to talk about the God of hope. Now there's other passages, one in Corinthians that talks about the God, may the God of love. So we see several relates to what's already going on in the book. So we don't want to think of the benediction as just sort of a tack on, good, here's a good word for you, unrelated to what's happened in the book. And that's why we spent some time last week going through the details of the book of Hebrews uh, so that we might get a fuller appreciation and understanding of that benediction that was in Hebrews. We'll do, the same to, well, do kind of the same today in Romans. Now, if you look at that verse, it's Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so last week we asked the question, have you ever made a decision that you regretted? And we talked about how the, the Jews of that time uh, had become Christians and then due to persecution and hardship they said, yeah, I don't know if that was a good decision. And they thought about going back to the old ways and and the author, in his benediction and through the book, is encouraging him, saying, no, you made the right decision. Stick with it. You know, persevere through it. And actually, by that way, that theme, perseverance, is consistent throughout a lot of these benedictions because so many of the people at that time were facing persecution and hardship, something that we haven't faced ourselves. So we might say, well, yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, but they're in the middle of it. They're having things taken away. Uh, I mean, their houses are being taken away. They're being physically persecuted. So... Those words meant a whole lot to them when they heard that. And uh, again, we can still benefit from it. Now, I know there's a lot of uh, young folks here today, and um, I figured they didn't want to go to the parenting class for some reason. You didn't want to find out what your parents were doing wrong or something like that. Uh, Don't want to think about that topic yet. So as I thought about, though, I thought, now, what do they look forward to in this lesson? What, what are they going to get out of the lesson in addition to the rest of us? Because usually with the hope, I think a lot of times that tends to be one that we think more about as adults or when you get older and, and things start, the walls are kind of 
pushing in on you. The, the, the issues of life begin to, to weigh on you more and more, and you're looking for something to give you some sort of hope. When you're young, I was thinking about what did I hope for when I was young? Um, I hoped I got a cool car. I mean, every guy, I think, I don't know about girls, but guys, you want a cool car. Um, <clears throat> I hoped I would look better as I got older. <laughs> God said no to that one. <laughs> got a cool car, you know, but anyway. Uh, I, I would say, I would think to myself when I was a teenager, I hope I get a, a job, a job that pays well. These are things I thought about. The immediate, you know, five, ten-year window of I hope these things take place in my life. And I wasn't thinking about, you know, being the age I am now, 65, and thinking other thoughts. But as life goes on, I was also thinking another one, I hope I'll be popular in college. I thought, when I was in high school, I was kind of a nobody, and I thought, when I go to college, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to, I'm going to change who I am, and I'm going to be popular and cool. And it just totally didn't work. I was still who I was, uh, but I had hopes. <clears throat> Of course, as you get older, your hopes change, and as you go through experiences and you experience more hardships, um, they get weightier and weightier. So now you start thinking things like, I hope I find a job to provide for my family before the money runs out. Not just, I want a cool job, it's, you know, a man who's lost his job or a woman who's lost her job, you're thinking, I got to provide. I hope I find something. That's a different kind. It's a much weightier, heavier kind of hope. I hope we can save our marriage. These are the kind of things you, you start facing as you get older. Another one, <clears throat> I hope this cancer doesn't kill me. Or, I hope this surgery doesn't hurt too much. Don't think about that so much when you're younger. You're just thinking, like I said, you're thinking about cars and relationships and things like that. Uh, other ones such as, I hope my kids will turn to Christ. You have kids that are wayward and have gone off the reservation and you're, you're hoping for that. So our hopes change as we age. We tend, they tend to become, uh, is there a hope that endures beyond all others? Now, of course, you're going to say, I know it's God. He gives us hope. <clears throat> we understand that's kind of the general answer, but we're going to spend a little bit more time and dig a little bit deeper in scriptures and see what Paul says. What are the, what's the basis for that? Uh, this is an important question, by the way. By the way, let me put it this way, too. How does the world answer that question? You think about unbelievers that you know, and you were to say, what, what is your hope? What do you hope for? Well, it's really going to be, other than, you know, kind of a fake Christianity, oh, I hope God, I hope my good outweighs my bad, you know, kind of like that. Uh, but generally, there, there's not a whole lot of hope for the unbeliever. Most worldviews do not have, them certainly doesn't, pantheism doesn't. Pantheism, your spirit survives, but it, you've lost your personality because you're part of the, the oneness of all reality. Uh, so there's not any survival beyond the grave. So where is your hope there? Uh, I think they don't really have it. They can hope for you know, a good vacation. They can try to do those kind of temporal things. Or they just stimulate themselves. You know, whether it's drinking, drugs, whatever it is, the different sins that we've talked about of the flesh out of Galatians. They indulge themselves in those things and say, well, there is no really ultimate hope, so let's just party now. <clears throat> But this is a, it's a really important question and one that is so unique to Christianity to answer. Matter of fact, when I was going through my counseling training, this is one of the things that emphasized over and over. And I remember I would, as I was going through the training, I would do a counseling session and then there would be what they called a fellow who was a guy up in the ACBC organization. And I would send them the information on that counseling session 
and he would review it. You know, what homework did you give? What did you talk about? How did you address it? What scriptures did you use? And, and he would also say, did you give them hope? That's something they always asked. Did you give the counselee hope? And so and I actually have it on the form that I've created for just kind of taking notes at the bottom. Was hope given with a checkbox <clears throat> to remind me? Uh, so that when I meet with them and say, you have a basis for hope. You are not stuck in whatever you're in. Uh, there is a way out. Again, not necessarily temporally, uh, but eternally, and that's what we'll look at. When we turn to the Bible, we find that there are a lot of hopeless situations, aren't there? Uh, you could look at, for example, uh, the Jews who are running away from Egypt, and they're seeing the army come, and they're seeing the sea in front of them, and they're like, this is hopeless. There's, there's not going to be any way out of this. Uh, one of the ones I really like is, remember, Elisha's servant, uh, when, when they were surrounded by all the armies, <clears throat> and he's there with Elisha, and... Um, he says, you know, we're, we're toast. We're, we're going to lose this. And then, of course, Elisha says, open his eyes, and then he sees the armies of God surrounding them. Uh, we see other examples. When David's son rebelled against him, you go, oh, this whole thing is crashing. I uh, think of Jeremiah and his lamentations when he's saying, what, you know, what have you all done? And you're seeing this hopelessness of a culture of the Jews now being taken over by a foreign entity and being exported. Uh, we do the same thing in our own culture. We'll talk about this more tonight, Lord willing. <clears throat> My sermon's going to be on the restraints that God uses. What restraints does God use to keep a people or a culture from, individuals or, peop- or uh, cultures, from degrading down, just completely um, coming unraveled? Uh, again, we can look at the men in the fiery furnace. We look at a lot of different examples, but lots of examples in Scripture that, that people face difficult and situa- situations that seem like it was just sort of hopeless. You know, what's going to come out of this? So let's, uh, again, look at this benediction and uh, bring it into context as we reflect on this. In Romans fifteen thirteen, remember, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at that, We want to begin by defining at least just the one term, hope, because how it's used in the culture and how it's used in Scripture are two different things. Uh, You may have heard this, but just by way of review, uh, the culture typically uses the word hope in terms of hope so. I just really hope. Kind of like I said earlier, I hope I get that job. I really hope I get to meet that guy or that girl. I really hope. Uh, But the Scripture, when it uses the word hope, is giving something much more solid. Uh, One... I think it was a study Bible, put it this way. Biblical hope is a firm conviction that the future promises of God will be fulfilled. Hope is not mere wish projection, but an assurance of what will come to pass. So if you were to use the culture's idea, uh, when you go to Scripture, now may the God of hope so, you know, then you're misreading it, and you're not getting the benefit out of it. Instead, what you're saying, may the God who provides that firm conviction about the future promises of God being fulfilled, now, now understand it that way. Um, <clears throat> so when we look at Romans, then, let's look at Romans because, again, the, the, the benediction is towards the end of the book, and it's not detached from everything else that's gone on before it. When we look at the book of Romans, we're dealing with, uh, Scotty talked about it a little bit today, <clears throat> um, a church that was in a historic situation. Uh, what had happened was that uh, the Romans, the Church of Rome, and it was, it was talked about in Acts 18, uh, there had been a time of, you had the, the Jewish 
Christians and you had the Christians. And there was a time of uh, persecution by the Emperor Claudius where he expelled all the Jews, including the Jewish Christians. And for about five years, they were pushed out of the land. And then after the five years, they were allowed to come back again. And when they came back again, they found that the Gentile Christians uh, in the churches there looked very different than what they had seen originally or earlier. And so they come back together and they see what's happening in worship. They see how these Christians are living. They're like, no, this is not right. You guys get it all wrong. And so there's, there's going to be uh, fighting going on and lots of um, um, friction between them. Because the church looked very non-Jewish. So Paul wanted to address this problem with the, the church at Rome. And how does he do that? Well, he doesn't do it with a, come on, you guys, you know, uh, let's, can't we all get along kind of talk? Uh, he, he creates this masterful, unparalleled work of the book of Romans uh, that is just so profound that uh, it, it will take perhaps more, many more years to fully appreciate exactly what that book was about. But he puts together this book, and he does it. He doesn't just say, uh, let's address your problem. He actually he goes back and he says, let's look at the big picture here. And then as we address the big picture, these problems will begin to be addressed. I think you've probably heard me use that example of a book called Obliquity, uh, where the um, author, it's not a Christian book, but the author says, there are ways, <clears throat> oftentimes the way to accomplish a goal is indirectly rather than directly. It's a pretty interesting thesis, but he talks about corporations that would say, oh, we're going to increase the price per share of our stock, and they would work at it, and they'd work, but the, the price would go down. And they're like, ah, oh, well, I guess we'll just do product quality and customer satisfaction. And they would do this, and then the price per share would go up. And they'd go like this, and then they would go over here, and that would go up. And the point was saying that if you focus on the right things, which may not be the, the actual goal that you have in mind directly, uh, you might find that that goal is achieved in another way. In the same way here, Paul doesn't just say to them, look, you guys are all going to heaven, you need to get along, you know, just... Boom, in that little context, he says, let's pull back, look at the big picture, and as you look at the big picture, these things will come into focus. Kind of like what I was saying this morning, even in the, the beginning where I said, whether you're sad or angry, whatever, praise God. Well, wait a minute, I'll praise him after I work these things out. No, 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 get over here, and these things will begin to take care of themselves. And that's kind of the idea here. Now, again, uh, as we look at these... Um, the. Uh, let me, let me go back and tell you what I did here. <clears throat> what I did is I, this is one of those joy of original discovery deals that I was talking about last week. So I got all the places in the book of Romans where the word hope is used. And I noticed a pattern. I thought, oh, this is interesting. I noticed there were three clusters of them. I think there was one or two exceptions. I think it was like 15 times the, book, the word is used in there. But most of them are in three different places in the book. And I think there's a reason why they're in three different places in the book, and that's what we're going to look at, the three different places and how that word hope fits into it and then how that plays into the benediction. And uh, I think those three different places really address three of the biggest problems that we have, two of which were actually addressed this morning by Scotty. Uh, the first one is the fact that every human faces a judgment. All of us are guilty before addressed. And you'll see that Paul, in, that, in addressing that, is going to get into the topic of hope. The second place is where we have suffering and death. We're in a world that's falling apart, uh, that's corrupted, and we've got to deal with that. 
And Paul's going to say, in that context, he's going to say, he's going to talk about hope again and you know, give them hope in that context. So that's, in a sense, our relationship with the, the natural world. And then the third one is conflicts that we have with people. Uh, again, in this case, it's going to be conflicts between the Jews and Gentiles, but all of us have conflict. Matter of fact, when it comes to counseling, I'll tell people the two biggest categories you have when it comes to counseling are suffering and conflict. Pretty much you can guess that whoever's coming in is in some way dealing with one of those. That's pretty common. Uh, so uh, we'll see those addressed as well here. So what I want to do is look at these three clusters of the word hope in the context, and then we'll see how that plays into the benediction. Okay, so first of all, if you look at Romans 3, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in Romans 3, if you recall Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul's talking about the fact that everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you look at uh, <clears throat> verses uh, 10 and on, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Everyone, Jew or Gentile, all of this is under the curse of God. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. <coughs> Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So he says this is everybody. The law of God, the, the perfect character of God is, is one that none of us measure up to. And where does that put us? It puts us in a position of hopelessness. Matter of fact, Paul says that very thing in Ephesians 2 when he says that at that time you were without Christ, uh, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. But what we find is God has resolved the problem. And we see that in Romans 4. Let me show you now where these, this word hope pops up. We're going to see it first in the example of Abraham in a very interesting uh, phrase here. If you look at 4.16, where it talks about the faith of Abraham. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, verse 17, he believed. It's talking about Abraham's belief. And then it says in verse 18, I'm kind of jumping through some of the other peripheral things, but it says, Abraham, verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that when he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So here is Abraham who says, I see myself that I am a sinner before God. I have no way to make myself righteous. The law only convicts me of my sin. It doesn't help me overcome it. I'm hopeless. But then it says, he hoped against hope. To believe. He, in hope he believed. God promised him that here was going to be descendants, and he chose to exercise faith to believe in that hope that God would fulfill the promise, which was part of the definition that we used for hope earlier. He believed that God would fulfill that hope. Now look at verses uh, chapter 5, just moving right along there, and now we're going to see that again that hope showing up several places. Verses uh, 1 through 5, therefore having been justified by faith, there's Abraham has been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory, the certain assurance of God fulfilling his promise. We rejoice in that, in the glory of God. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, it goes on. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts 
our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. I, I preached this at my mom's funeral, this passage. This is one that she wanted me to preach. And I remember uh, I looked at that sermon just out of curiosity to see what I had said many years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And I, and I, I saw this uh, funny point in there that uh, when she had her cancer, we went out to eat one night at an uh, oriental restaurant. And it had, you know, the fortune cookies. And when we popped one, hers open, it opened up, when she opened it up, uh, she started laughing. And it says, it is, uh, longevity has been granted to you. <laughs> and she died shortly after that. I mean, that, that part's not funny. But it is kind of funny. It's like, really? That's our hope, the fortune cookie. And it was wrong. Uh, but no, we have a much greater hope as we see evidence here in Romans 5. We hope against hope. Meaning there, when it says Abraham hoped against hope, he said he hoped in the promises of God, not in human hope for trying to work stuff out ourselves and see if we can manipulate our way through life and get over things. He says, no, he hoped in the real hope, the fulfilled promises of God who is true to his word. So here we have the first problem that we've uh, had to deal with is our own relationship with God has now been addressed And in that context, then we can have hope. And you notice how it says here how he talks about the perseverance. There it is again. Why would they need that? Well, they're still in a context of of struggle and perseverance and and persecution. Uh, Same with the Hebrews. We could look at any number of books in the New Testament with believers who are going through hard times that we haven't experienced yet uh, in our country. Uh, Hopefully not, but maybe in God's providence. And so these words were really important to them to hear this. They needed something out there to grab onto so that all this stuff happening right now, uh, they would hold on to that and just keep pushing past it. Uh, I think, again, I have to mention the Pilgrim's Progress. If I have a chance, I'll read you another quote from there this morning. But how that was how Christian was. It was like the celestial city. He kept trying to focus on that and say, I'm not going to veer from it. And he went through all these trials along the way. Well, the second cluster of hope is found in chapter 8. So if you go over to chapter 8, we say, though we're reconciled with God, we say, okay, we've got eternity worked out. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm right with my creator. What is another context in which we need hope? Well, uh, if you're like me, I was talking to Mr. Merritt this morning about getting old, and um, you know that you know, for guys, usually it's around 40, you start getting some things don't happen as well as you had hoped. You start having... Injuries more easily, things like that. As you get older, I'm 65. How old are you now, Mr. Merritt? 84. And have you ever had any physical issues? <laughs> yeah. So as you get older, you face these more and more. So we're in a fallen world. We're in these bodies that are affected by the corruption of the world. And that's kind of frustrating. I think for me, that was a really hard thing to come to grips with as I turned, I think it was when I turned 60. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm in the last third. You know, I'm not in the first or second third anymore. First third is when you're like, what's life going to look like? You know, kind of job, where am I going to live? And there's cool things to do and stuff. And then the second third is you get married, your answer, your, the question's answered, what kind of job are you going to have? What are your kids going to look like? That's answered there, but, you know, things are good. You're, you're working hard and you're providing, you enjoy your family. And the last third is where you start thinking, hmm, you know, my parents are dying, my grandparents have died, my parents have died, and... In the, and now I've got to be the next one. I'm the next one. That's kind of that's that's heavy-duty thought. Um, actually, I have three out of four still alive, so there's, there's hope. 
But I look at my dad, who's now nine, just turned 90 this year, and I think, wow, and I see how slowly he's moving, and I think, yeah, that's, Lord, that might, in God's providence, that might be my future, moving slowly at 90 or who knows. Uh, but uh, we're in this corrupt world, and so where, what is our hope in that context? Look at uh, verse 18. Look what Paul writes here. He writes, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. <clears throat> for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God's got the future already planned out and will fulfill it. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Not only that, but we are for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope, certain assurance of God fulfilling his promises, that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what one sees? In other words, hope is, a future, is about a future event. But it's the certainty of that future event. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. There's that word perseverance again. Isn't that interesting? Hope and perseverance in the same context. So creation is going to be delivered from the bondage of corruption. It's interesting how it says there, creation uh, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It's like creation, think of nature and all that God's created, is waiting for us as believers uh, to be revealed, the sons of God, saying that we are, we are part of creation, right? We're physical bodies. And he says, not only will creation be renewed, but you will be. Your body is not going to rest in the grave forever. It's also, as part of creation, it's going to be renewed. So all your aches and pains and all those suffering, the same kind of things you go through, he says, Paul says, it's, it's minimal. It's not a big deal. Think about the fact that you are going to be recreated with a new body without any kind of aches or pains. And that, that is, again, gives you hope. Gives you hope in the future and what God's going to do. <clears throat> now, the third one, the third cluster of hope, <clears throat> let me go back and just review here, again, just to put us in context. Um, in the first section, we're saying our hope was tied to being reconciled with God. So there's that vertical relationship that Scotty was talking about earlier this morning. So this led to hope and to perseverance. In the second one, we see that our bodies are going to be renewed. We have that assured um, promise of God that we can hold on to, even as our body now is having struggles. And that's going to happen with the new creation. And that helps us now to even persevere. Now, the third one, then, is going to follow uh, kind of a similar pattern. Both of those, so far, really, have to do somewhat with the future, though, don't they? The first one is... uh, we're going to be recon- we're reconciled with God now, yes, but ultimately we'll, we'll spend eternity with him. And then the second one, we're seeing that uh, even right now, even though we're still in it, we have that future hope. The third one actually has to do more with right now, and it ties in with what Pastor Anderson was saying in his sermon this morning. This is a relational harmony. So we said, first of all, you had the vertical problem, but there's hope for us because Christ, and putting faith in Christ, we've resolved that problem. There's the fact that we're all decaying and dying, and there's hope for that because one day that's going to all be restored and God will renew us. The third one is he's saying, now I'm going to get into the application related to the whole subject of, or the, the point of the book of Romans, which is how do you reconcile? 
And as Scotty mentioned about the Jews and the Gentiles reconciling, uh, you, you can hardly think of two groups that just seem so more diverse from each other. Um, <clears throat> I actually thought about this. I think this would actually be a fascinating study uh, for counseling uh, because I thought if you had the struggle between, and I haven't developed it yet, but I might, uh, you had this, this struggle between the Jews and the Gentiles, especially at, the, at chapter 14 where it talks about not sin issues, but just weaker, stronger brother kind of issues. Remember that? He talks about the weaker brother, the stronger brother, the Jews and the Gentiles and going all that. That actually would be a really interesting paradigm for marital counseling to say that you're going to have differences, just like the Jews and the Gentiles. They're not necessarily sin issues, but they're just going to cause all kinds of problems. And you got to figure out how to get through that. And some of the principles he gets into here, I mean, all of chapter 12, I was thinking about this morning as he was going through this, how much of that would relate to a married couple. The married couples just feel a lot more because they're right next to each other and you can't get away. I mean, like, not like you want to, but you're in a context of a house. You're dealing with yourself every day in real life. You know, if it's your business partner, you can say, check you later, I'm going to leave or I'm just going to go home and be away from you. But in a the sin that he's addressing in you, hope in the context even of the struggles between the Jew and the Gentiles, or I'll say here, husband and wife. Uh, so let's look at that one. Uh, chapter 15 is uh, where we're finding our benediction. <clears throat> and chapters 12 through 15 is all about body life. Paul's been uh, dealing with the weaker and stronger brothers, as I said, and now he gets into chapter 15. And God's going to show how hope plays into this. Uh, let's start with verse 4. <coughs> For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you one to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So it's interesting there, he talks about the patience and the comfort of the scriptures. By the way, that's actually a benediction in itself, isn't it? Uh, in verse... Uh, Verse 5, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. So that's actually a benediction itself. You'll see a benediction that we're going to look at in verse 13. There's another one, I think it's at um, verse 33, now the God of peace be with you. And then there's another one, well, the, there's the doxology then at the end of 16. So there's actually several in this context here. But what do we see uh, Paul writing about here? He's saying that with what has happened vertically between you and God and others and then them with God, uh, now that, that peace that's been established there and the hope that you have in that relationship can now be translated here. Whether you're Jew or Gentile or black or white, you can take whatever context you want. It's saying that as you <clears throat> focus on God, notice it says they're like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus with one mind, one mouth glorify. We have that thing in common that makes these things peripheral. See what I'm saying is that the focus, remember I said obliquity earlier, you focus on this, these things go away. You should not have the racial struggles. You shouldn't have the marital problems. I mean, I recognize it's not a perfect world. We've got to do this. But you shouldn't have uh, cultural distinctions in terms of uh, infighting. They, that shouldn't play into it. It's one mouth. We're all glorifying one truth, one God that we're glorifying. And with that, we can find great uh, harmony and peace with one another. Now look at that, 
benediction as he, as he closes out that section. <clears throat> Look at think about what we've looked at. Now, the vertical, the corruption of the world, we've got the hope there. The vertical, we've got hope in that relationship with God. We have hope in our conflicts with one another. And how does he close this out? He says, now may the God of hope... Um, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice as I said last week, we talked about the God of peace, and now we're looking at the God of hope. And that's why these benedictions can be so encouraging if we think about what's being said and what's being uh, encouraged for us. May God do this for you. And you want, sometimes people put their hands out. We don't necessarily encourage that, Um, we don't discourage it. That's your thing. Uh, but in general, you know, we, there's also a debate about whether you should bow your head or not to receive a benediction. In general, um, we would say that you don't. You look up to receive. Some pastors will say, look up to receive the benediction. Others will say, let's close in prayer, and they'll close with a benediction, even good friends of ours. So it's, there's not a just one size fits all in there. Uh, but as we go through here, then we see how Paul is wrapping this up. The God of peace. Fill you with all joy and peace. That word fill there means to capacity, to make full, to make complete. It fits, it fits in actually with our uh, benediction last week. What did he pray in the benediction last week? He said, may the God of peace who brought, you up, brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work. And here he's saying, may the God of hope. He says, I, I want God to continue that work that he began in you and grow you up into maturity in Christ. Uh, in believing, and there we see the, the, uh, the necessity of faith. Just like Abraham hoped against hope, we too are to choose to hope in the certain promises of God and to live on that. <clears throat> it says that you may abound in hope. That's an interesting one there. The word means abound means to, to fill up uh, all joy, full, abounding, overflowing it's, it's similar to a passage, I was thought of this when I read that, I thought it makes, reminds me of 2 Corinthians 9.8, if you remember this one. Paul writes, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always having, listen to all the superlatives here, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good word, I mean my word. How many of these can you put in one sentence? He, he just, I, I could never do that. He put all these in one sentence. <clears throat> That's the picture of what God has planned for each one of us as we grow in him. Now, again, this is not just a, a um, not a hope so, and it's not a pull up your, your boot, yourself by your bootstraps and be a good person. As he closes it out, and he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a man-made uh, hope or hope so or some kind of temporal relief. It's a supernatural hope based on the work of the Holy Spirit in God's people as he dwells in God's people. So that's a great encouragement. Hopefully that's a great encouragement to you as well. <clears throat> um, as we look at that benediction, perhaps that will uh, be even a greater encouragement in the future when you hear that benediction spoken. Let me close with a quote from uh, Pilgrim's Progress that I thought was kind of neat. This is where uh, Pilgrim, a uh, Christian, is getting ready to cross over the Great River. Have you heard of that? If you remember, if you ever read it, the great river meaning death. And Christian, as, as great as a guy as he was, he was having a lot of trouble. He's looking at the river and he's thinking, I can't do this. And that can happen uh, with, with believers. Uh, but who was with him? 
hopeful. Uh, so hopeful's with them, and this is what happens. It says, hopeful, therefore, here had much ado to keep his brother's head above water, because Christian's drowning in his fear about death. Uh, yea, sometimes he would be quite gone down, and then ere a while he would rise up again half dead. Hopeful also would endeavor to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate and the men standing by to receive us. But Christian would answer, It is you, it is you they wait for. You have been hopeful ever since I knew you. And so have you, said he to Christian. Ah, brother, he said, surely if I was right, he would now arise to help me. God says, you know what, text. Where it is said, then said hopeful, my brother, you have quite forgot the text. Where it is said of the wicked, there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are, still, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which heretofore you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. Then <clears throat> I saw in my dream that Christian was as in a muse a while, to whom also hopeful added this word, be of good cheer, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And with that, Christian broke out with a loud voice, and he said, Oh, I see him again, and he tells me, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Then they both took courage, and the enemy was after that as still as a stone, until they were gone over. Christian therefore presently found ground to stand upon, and so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow, and thus they got over. Uh, We can be a great encouragement to one another in uh, helping each other to build our hope, as hopeful did here, reminding, what did he do? He says, you've forgotten the truths. You know, he says that uh, you've forgotten the goodness of God who's, who's justified you. And you've forgotten that he is going to bring you what he started, he won't, uh, he, he's going to complete. So we have great reason to hope as Christians, and not, again, not hope so, but a confident expectation of uh, our relationship and our future with God based on the fact he's justified us and he's promised us that he will resurrect our bodies and we will enjoy that fellowship with one another, some of which we can enjoy now, even though it can be a little bit difficult, but some of which we can even enjoy now as a kind of down payment of what we look forward to in eternity with him. Let's close in prayer. Father, once again, thank you for this benediction and even the book of Romans, how much uh, we have not covered this morning. Uh, But I pray each one of us then would be encouraged by the words of hope we've heard. Uh, We've seen it in these three different contexts of our justification and of our uh, resurrection and of our uh, brotherly love and relationships. Father, thank you that you give us hope in each one of these, uh, that that confident expectation that you will fulfill what you have promised. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, see you all tonight.